0: All right, Wow, it's been a great service already. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Pastor. Surprised to see him back, so thankfully he came back. (sighs) The staff can breathe now. (laughs) We always want to do a good job when he's gone, so at least I I feel the pressure sometimes just, you know, you want to do a good job and make sure everything goes well, and it's great. Uh, It's easy to... uh, to work everybody everybody shows up on time everybody does what they're supposed to do and um just pray we don't burn the place down while he's away if that everything that doesn't happen then there we've we've done a good job so uh, if you have your bibles which you should uh turn to matthew chapter 20 uh we're gonna look at a parable this tonight and uh pastor if it's okay maybe before we dismiss for the refresher i could announce the winner of the candy competition okay and uh, It's been great. Y'all responded very well to uh, just getting the candy in. I think we've got the most candy we've ever had, so um, which is good because we think we're going to have the most people we've ever had. And uh, keep keep praying, keep inviting people. We're uh, I I haven't double checked with the cherry on the number of people registered, but I think as of yesterday we were just under three hundred, like really close to uh, getting to that number. Uh, Matthew chapter twenty. Let's stand if we could and uh, look at this parable. Uh, known as the parable of the householder who owns a vineyard, and uh, starting with uh, verse 1 of chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man, that is, a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. Let me just pause and just take notice to verse two. How there's the word, the verb agreed there. That that means there was sort of a contract that had been established. And then notice the difference here in verse four, where he says, "Go." He just tells them to go to work. Um, Let's pick up with verse five again. He went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, "Why stand ye here all the day idle?" They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. Verse 9 refers back to the laborers that were under contract in verse 2. And when they came uh, that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it they murmured against the goodman of the house, the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. And he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way, I will give unto, unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time we've had together already, and thank you for answering our prayers. Uh, Lord, as we've prayed for many today, and Prayed for Pastor Ingram. You brought them back safely to us, and Lord, so encouraged by this morning's message and the Sunday school time, and uh, also Brother Cherry's message this morning, and Lord, just hearing the truth from Doctor Childs about uh, where we're to uh, be and land right with our our neighbor, our, our the country we pray for, Israel, and and so Lord, just a a lot um, for us to absorb and. And understand, and uh, but Lord, you make truth so clear for us, and pray that you continue to do that tonight, and uh, just help us leave here changed today. We've been challenged already, Lord. We need revival in our in our heart, in our home, and Lord, our church, and so Lord, would you begin uh, today? I know you've started this morning. Would you continue to revive us, Lord? Bring us back to life that we might be a church that could be used of you, Lord, to see the lost people in our county come to know Christ. Lord, we're praying for our fall festival. Lord, many will be here. And I know not every person on the property that night will maybe get a chance to hear the gospel. They'll get it in print. But Lord, I pray that our church would be able to connect, even if it's just for a few seconds, that they would know how much you love them, how much they mean to this church, and more importantly, how much they mean to you. Would you give us that favor with our our community, Lord, on this big day that's coming up? We love you, Lord, and thank you for loving us. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. So this this parable really kind of begins in the uh, verses that are in chapter 19. There's an event that we're familiar with where a rich man comes to Jesus and he asks them how he can have eternal life. And if we're familiar with this part of Matthew, we know that there's a conversation between this rich young man and the Savior and uh, he tells Jesus, "Hey, I've kept these commandments. I've I've done these things. I've I've been been good." And then Jesus gives him the, the cost of discipleship. This is what it's going to cost you to follow me. If you want to follow me and be a part of of me, he says, "If you want to be mature, go and sell all that thou hast and come to the poor and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me." And the man walked away. He had great treasure and so the disciples are watching this. And so they even ask a question um, in verse 25 of chapter 19, who then can be saved? I used to think that maybe they were looking at this rich young ruler because they, they had forsaken all. And so in a sense, materially, in a, in a material sense, the disciples are, are, are poor. They, they've walked away from everything. They're not, they're not necessarily working and, and earning a living and supporting their family. And, and then it's, I think the challenge right there is they're, they're maybe asking well, this cost of discipleship, if that man has a hard time, then who else is gonna have a who else is gonna walk away from Jesus when he presents them with this cost of discipleship? Uh, if if wealth is the the item in this man's life that kept him from following Jesus, wow, then then what about these other people that have uh, not only wealth in their life, but what else is keeping them from following Jesus? And I thought about us in America. We are very wealthy in this country. And I would say if there's a, uh, an obstacle in the way of the American citizen, it's materialism. It, we, we don't want to walk away from our wealth. We don't want to walk away from our station. We don't, we don't want to humble ourselves. And so uh, we won't preach this, but that's very convicting that uh, our, our wealth can keep us from enjoying a relationship with the Savior. And then... Peter also, and this is kind of where I think this, uh, this parable of the householder picks up because Peter asked a very interesting question. He says in verse 27, he's talking to Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Peter, I think, is asking, what will we get out of this? And then this parable is taught for us today, and it was for the disciples then, really as a, as a warning to uh, this, maybe Peter's expectation. What's, what do we get out of this? And then Jesus really tells them, he, he does answer the question. He says, You follow me, and uh, in verse 29, everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold. And shall inherit everlasting life, But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And then he begins to speak this parable, and that's what I'd like to focus on this evening. And the first note in this parable is, hey, there's a lot of work in the vineyard, so much work that this householder is going to go and hire people to come and work on his property, work in his vineyard, and in that just like uh, ministry today, there's a lot of work to go around. Um, we were looking this morning at um, the Sunday school lesson, and we made, I made reference to Jesus falling asleep in the middle of the storm, and I was half serious and maybe half joking, but I, I said ministry is that taxing on the physical body that it doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a storm. Jesus was physically tired. I know he's the son of God. He's perfect, but he was tired enough that in the middle of a storm, if there was a moment to catch some sleep, he would. And and, and that really is the truth that there is much work and there are laborers that are needed. And so we see work. He goes four different times to uh, hire people to work in his vineyard. And uh, so work is present. But notice in verse two, as he begins to hire these laborers, um, and when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And, and back in this time, people would, would wait in a certain location, the marketplace. And you, if you were an uh, a owner of land and you needed help, you knew where to go to hire your laborers. And, and so this is most accurate. And it's interesting that these men most likely would not have committed to working for him unless they had a contract they were bargaining and they need work they need to make money they need to provide for their family but isn't it interesting that some people are very they're always calculating they're not ready to commit until they have a consultation with you and then after the consultation if there's a guaranteed uh, outcome they're not really willing to commit. It's almost as if their resources, their, their energy, their love, their commitment is kind of on a budget. And unless they can get something out of the deal, they're not going to commit. Because it's, it's a stark difference between that group in verse 2 and the rest of the laborers he hires. And, and, and really this parable highlights and focuses on that group of laborers that would not go to work until they struck a bargain with the householder, and so that's a that's a warning for us. They they really come at this thinking, well, "What's in it for me? If I'm going to work for you for the next twelve hours, what do I get out of the deal?" I already mentioned there's much work present, so he's out getting more more laborers. He finds some people idle. He finds some that are waiting to be hired. There's there's a, there's a variety there of workers and. And he goes out and gets them. And, and it's very interesting in verse four, as he begins to hire these, he says, he just says, them, he, he says to them, they're, they're idle in the marketplace. He says, go ye also to the vineyard and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. These men, I'm, I'm going to call them men because I think that's what they are. And um, I'm, I guess I'm preaching so I can determine what they are. Um, anyway, but th- these men were laborers. And then also, you see uh, some in verse uh, 7 and, and 8 and verse 6. They just go work. There's no contract, it's open ended. What does that tell us? They're taking the householder at his word that he's going to treat them right. They're, they're not, they're really not in a sense, expecting an, an outcome that is going to personally benefit them. They're, they're just willing to work because they have a need. They're going to trust the householder to do them right. And so at the end of the workday, they're expecting, hey, he's going, to, he's going to treat me fair. He's going to do what's right. And then as the workday progresses, he, he hires more and same, same in verse 7, go ye also into the vineyard and whatsoever is right. That shall you receive. And then the end of the workday comes. And in verse 8, he says to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last until the first. So the contract guys got to wait last. And the last men who were hired, they're going to receive their pay first. And it's interesting that to read the reaction. As this, as this is unfolding. And can you picture this? These men have been working hard. As far as we can tell, this is a 12-hour workday. And he's hired people at the uh, beginning. He's hired people at the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour. He's hired people throughout the day. And the only ones who have a guarantee is the very beginning. They're the only ones that have a guarantee. So as he, as he begins to bring everyone in, he starts with the ones he hired last. They worked one hour and got paid a full's day wage. Wow. I'd like that deal, right? That's a, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good way to, to, to uh, keep people hired on, right? But notice the reaction of this first group. But when the first, they're watching. They're watching the They're watching the guy that worked one hour and got paid for a full day's wage. They're watching. And when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. Like, oh, wait, if he's getting a full day's wage for one hour, imagine what we get. They totally forgot they were under contract. No, 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 no. You bargain with the householder. Do Do you see the selfishness in that? And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the goodman of the house. And we'll continue with that in just a minute. So what's the reaction? What's the what's the application here? We we've kind of unfolded the story. I think the scripture is clear on how uh, there with the conversation between the laborers who were hired first and the master. But there's there is some there's three warnings that will benefit us from from looking at this. First of all is beware of having a contract mindset. And w- what do we mean by that? If y- our love and our energy and our money are on such a budget, and I, I think, I guess I'm using that word because we're getting help with our budget. So I, I think this is applicable in in a lot of ways, but if, You're so concerned about your return and you being benefited that you can't expend love, expend energy, expend money, expend resources, then, dear friend, you have no idea what Christ has done for you. Because He gave all. There was there was nothing He held back in His love for you and for me. And as we were challenged this morning from Brother Cherry's message. There is, there is everything to gain by bringing glory to God, by serving God. He humbled himself. He, he didn't live on some kind of spiritual budget to only, to only give when it, when it would benefit him. And, and I do want to say that Jesus Christ teaches us in the Bible to be wise with our resources. It's not to be foolish in spending anything, whether that's your energy, your love, your whatever. I mean, he knew when to rest and he knew when to eat and he knew how to govern himself and he knew how to govern people. But he never held back when it came time for other people. Listen, these uh, these laborers were cutting a deal and really uh, they benefited the least. And, And it helps us realize that we don't cut deals with God. We don't. If we enter into a contract with God, it ought to be this kind of contract. The whole page is blank. My name's at the bottom, and he fills in the rest. That's the right kind of contract to enter in with God. If we we enter into a contract on our terms, we lose. Because, you know, God's not the kind of God that, I mean, he can exact, and he can judge righteously, but he's also a God who's full of love and grace, and he wants to bestow upon us wonderful benefits and wonderful blessings. But if we're only going to, enter into an agreement, we're only going to work for God, we're only going to do it this way, our way, he may just give us exactly what we've agreed to and no more. And then we find ourselves like these men looking at the good man with an evil eye because it's his resources. They're his laborers. Why not just trust God and let him write the contract? Because he is able, Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do abundantly, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. In Genesis, we're reminded, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So beware of the contract mindset. Never be afraid of the will of God. Secondly, beware of the comparison complex. Notice in verse 11 or um, verse 10. Maybe it is verse 11. Um, But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received um, it, they murmured against the, uh, the good man. I'm looking for, yeah, verse 12, there it is. These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal to us. They're starting to compare their labor where they are with everyone else around them. They don't look at other people. Don't compare yourself to other people. If God wants to bless the man who worked one hour with a day's wage and bless somebody else a day's wage and they work 12 hours, may we just say that's his business? He knows the heart. He knows our heart. He knows your heart. And, and, and I don't want to in any way say that God's unkind and unloving But we will begin, if if we think someone has received a superior blessing over us, and we start thinking about that, you know what happens? Envy enters in. And that's sin. Envy is sin. We get the evil eye. We look at our fellow Christian with the evil eye. We look at our God with the evil eye. We think, man, God's just done giving me a raw deal. And that's not true. We, we, We are his creation. We are a tool in his hands. He can use us as he pleases. He can bless you as he pleases. He can bless everyone else as he pleases. It's up to him. And you know what happens when we compare ourselves? We're never satisfied when God does bless us. We're never satisfied. We always want what somebody else wants. Then we get bitter towards God. Then we'll start to sound like the Elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son. I've served you this many years and you never killed me a fatted calf. He forgets the great blessing that he's had by serving his father for so long. Yes, and his brother did make some very poor choices. But he's returned. He can't even rejoice. He can't even rejoice when someone else is receiving blessings from God or from the Father. He's resentful. Jonah was the same way. He refused to serve God. And then when God decided to show mercy and bless Nineveh, he still, still wasn't satisfied with what God had done. This is a great caution because if we're in this comparison complex and we're looking at someone and comparing what's happening in my life and their life, and he got paid more than I did, I worked all this, you know, uh, we, will, we will forfeit or could forfeit our blessings now and in the future. And we'll we'll be guilty of doing the work of God. Our heart won't be in it. We won't be accomplishing the will of God for our lives. The Bible warns us, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Hey, we're to love the brethren. The Bible tells us we're to prefer one another, love one another, pray for one another. We're not to compete against each other. It's not what the church is for. We don't, you know, dear friend, you don't have anything to prove to anybody else here. Amen. The, o- the only smile on a face that you and I should be concerned about is the smile from Jesus' face. When we're working to please Him, to, to, to satisfy Him, to, to honor Him, that is our, that's what we're free and we're liberated for. We, get, we gain nothing by trying to outdo somebody else. You know, uh, we were challenged this morning in Sunday school about this faith journey we're on with God to a crisis of belief. And the word crisis is not necessarily something emergent like a, a medical emergency or anything like that. It's really uh, a place where God leads us into a decision or, or, or the, the prep. Uh, precipice of something great he wants us to be involved in and and it requires a step of faith on our part and that's what we're to do we're we're to find out what god wants me to be doing in this church where where do i fit in into the body where what does god want me to 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 labor here we already said there's plenty of work to go around there's 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 plenty of need for laborers brother cherry challenged us that this morning about praying for labor so dear friend we're to find out how do I <clears throat> fit into this formula, into this, this place called the church. Uh, God doesn't love you or like me over somebody else. He's no respecter of persons. Our identity is in Christ. Uh, we all love Him. We all want to please Him. We're, we're all should be all heading the same direction where we see the Savior one day, and He says to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So beware of, uh, well, beware of the comparison complex. I forgot my second beware. Y'all are probably taking notes. Beware of the comparison complex. The first one was uh, beware of the contract mindset. Thirdly, lastly, beware of overconfidence. Beware of overconfidence and, they, they were confident in verse 10, but when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. They'd forgotten they were under a contract, and when the contract ceased to benefit them, then they wanted something else. They wanted something more. Uh, when workers negotiate their own contract, sometimes they don't want to stick to it. And, and, and really, Peter, in a sense, and I know sometimes we can be hard on Peter, but it would caution us to look at his question because Peter makes an assumption that because they have forsaken, they've paid the cost of discipleship in chapter 19, verse 27. Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And we must remember that outside salvation, there's really no guarantee of receiving anything. That's... that's, Enough. Thank you, Dr. Childs. That's enough to be saved and have eternal life and be able to serve the Master and escape hell. But we know that God's going to be good to us. That's His character. Not to say this in a haughty way, but God's going to do more for us than we deserve. He's going to reward us. But God also knows our motives. And that's, that's really a, a key takeaway here is that motive, our motive determines the value of ministry. And Christ, when he returns, and by the way things are looking, it, it does feel and seem imminent more than ever before. When you see Israel, who's being attacked from the north and the south, and, or more from the north, Lebanon, and Iran's threatening, and just think about all the scriptures we read in Revelation, how the countries are going to descend upon Israel and try to destroy her. And you think, well, I just wasn't sure if I would see all that in my lifetime. But, but when Christ does return, and he will, he will judge our motives. And Peter, Peter, his motives did change. If we were to read in Acts, when he was healing the man who could not walk, he told him, he says, look, I, I don't have anything material to give you But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so Peter, although he's asking Jesus, hey, what do I get out of this venture, this this cost of discipleship? We see later that he is a giver. He's giving what he has and he's seeing a man rise up and walk. God used him in a great way. And lastly, this really isn't a point, but I would say after being aware of the, beware of the the contract mindset, uh, beware of the comparison conflict, beware of overconfidence. Can I just tell us, we need to be free. That don't necessarily mean be free as in liberty, but could we work for free? Could we we be a people that have no expectation when it comes to serving our Savior? That if He didn't, that if He ceased to happen to not provide for a certain need, or if things didn't go the way we've been praying for, or something didn't happen the way that we thought it would, could we still be found faithful, knowing that just in our salvation is enough, just to serve Him is enough? Not, you know, it's not that you won't be recognized. It's not that you won't be compensated. And it's not, I'm saying that that won't happen, but, and and I don't mean this even sounds simple or a cliche, but in the words of Gretchen, can we just do it because we love Jesus? Gretchen says that a lot. (laughs) Love Jesus. Wouldn't that be enough motivation for us? You know, these labors, when, the, the ones that didn't sign a contract, when they were told to go work, they went, they went right away. <clears throat> and, and, and to our, our knowledge, it seems they went with joy. They went to work. And they trusted the, the householder. They trusted the man that hired them to do them right. And so, dear friend, be willing to work without a contract knowing that Jesus will take care of you. And if no one has come to ask you to work, would you volunteer if God's burdened you for a ministry, would you, would you do that for free? I think that would be a good test of where, where I would fit in if, if there was nothing in it for me. If God burdened me to serve, uh, help, preach, and teach, if I never got one, one iota of compensation, would I still do it? You know, there there's some people that, that do work for nothing. And they love it. And they may not have anything in the bank. But if if no one's asked you to work, would you volunteer? Would you be free? Would you be free labor for Christ? I don't know where you might find yourself in this parable. Uh, I don't know how many of us would identify with the householder of the vineyard. I don't know where we would identify with ourselves as a contract laborer. Or if we would be the, the one hired last I kind of chuckle. I think that guy probably took his day's wages and ran because the others were probably mad at him. But, but um, where do you find yourself in this parable? You know, the one who hired them was a good man. He's very kind. He says, friend, I, I do thee no wrong. Didst, thou, didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? He was a good man. So are you available, as I close here and just challenge us with these questions here as as we ponder this parable of the household, are you available to serve the Lord? And I know many of us work and serve, and I know this is not an intention in, in, in any way to try to guilt trip someone into serving and really, probably the most challenge is those who, of us who are serving and serve often and we're here every Sunday and you're in your place, your Sunday night crowd, you're here on Wednesday night. Maybe the, the greatest question is to ask, what's your motivation for what you do? How did you react to the wages paid to the laborers in this parable? Do you think some of it was unfair? Why does he get to work an hour and get a day's wage? Why does the other one work so hard and get paid the same? Do you trust God? That's really what that's about too. This represents God and how he deals with his labors. Do you trust him? I don't know how I would react if this were me, I'll be honest with you but I know how I should react. I know how I should come to the Lord in that it's the greatest privilege on earth. Higher than being the president, the pastor said this, than being the president of the United States is working for the Lord, working for the Lord, working for Jesus. That's the highest call. I used to think it was other things. You know, I thought the military, was, that was the highest call and pledging your life for your country. And can I just say, many have died Many have come back with no arms and no legs. Wives without husbands, children without fathers. They've they've sacrificed a great deal. Can I just ask, how has that deterred our country from plummeting to depravity? doesn't matter how much you commit. If God's not your God, your nation won't last. That's where the allegiance lies. We're, we're, We're to allege ourselves to Him. He is our sovereign. There's no better place to serve. There's no, there's no greater person to, to cling to, to serve, to give your all. He will never, ever, ever do you wrong. He won't cheat you. He won't scandal you. He won't, do you. he won't cut you a raw deal. He won't cut corners. He does all things well, perfectly in your life and in mine. As we ponder these truths, I just pray that it's been a help to us. If nothing else, it's been a warning. Don't have a contract mindset when it comes to serving the Lord. Don't compare yourself to other people. And please, don't be overconfident. Stay dependent upon Christ. As we close, if you want to stand with me, please, and have our time of invitation. This is a time for you to respond to what God spoke into your heart about. And I pray that you would do business with the Lord. And thank you, Brother Redmond, for playing for us. And you take the time you need. Come with an open heart, a humble heart.